This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title to our message this morning is called Dedicated in Service. And it was preached on February 27, 2011. What really comes to your mind when you do think about service? Some people is like feeling obligated to accomplish certain things because it's on, you know, the to-do list. You have to do it. Uh, what, what's your view of service? One of my greatest loves is um, serving tables. In fact, if I picked a secular job, uh, I've always wanted to be a butler and do things that would make the head of that home life become very easy to run and operate and you know because as I have served in certain capacities in my life I watch certain leaders who have very competent assistants that are almost thinking for them they're 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 so tuned in to that that leader and President George W. is one of those examples. His speechwriter, Karen, I have never seen anyone line themselves up so much to a, a, a leader's thoughts that she could almost tell you what the president's going to say before he said it. And she wasn't even his executive assistant. She was his speechwriter and uh, one of his primary advisors. So I look at roles like that and I go, that's... To me, that's what service is. It's like, who cares who you are? Who cares what you think? It is, what does George W. think? What's he, what's he really wanting right now? And what do I have through these hands and through this mouth that can make that come forth from that person? It's proven that leaders have so much going on in their heads because of their spiritual gifting of leadership that... Um, much of what oftentimes they desire, certainly what God desires to get out, never happens because it's too much. There's too many, there's too many veins coming in because they are a visionary type of person. There's too many veins coming in. So, um, I am reading George W.'s book right now, uh, and he said that a great leader is someone who surrounds themselves by great leaders. I mean, that's as probably as old as the Bible. But it's true. One leader cannot do it. So, talking about service and dedication of service is very, very critical for the survival of a very responsible church. Local body church. So, there is a word that we need to talk about. It's called congregation. Congregation is not a Greek word. As most of you know that I've got this thing about Hebrew, then looking at the Greek. I think Greek is very appropriate, obviously, because God used these men to inspire them to write in Greek so we could have Greek writing. So I'm not against the Greek, but I really believe that uh, just like the language itself of Greek, it was birthed out of Hebrew, 
So I like to go back and look at the Hebrew definition if it's offered to us first. Secondly, as a reminder to us, is that the Hebrew written to us by God, probably by using his finger in the sand or on a tablet, uh, was given to us in picture form. So congregation in our minds, just looking at the word pictures in your mind right now, how would you define this word? Yeah, in fact, the Latin for congregate... Uh, Latin is very, very easy to understand, actually. Um, It seems like learning another language is extremely complicated for us Americans, but Latin is very easy to understand because the English came from the Latin. And there's always words within the English language that reveal the Latin. What is the word that you see on the board today that reveals the core, the key message of this word? Or say the word in your mind, congregate. It's a fellowship, a gathering at the gate. It's a bunch of people hanging out at the gate. Now, that's, that's Latin. It's certainly not Hebrew. So Hebrew is uh, something Tori and I are going to demonstrate for you. Okay, you ready? Miss Congregate? Okay. Tori is going to be the symbol of just a head. Okay? And I need the back of her head to show you this Hebrew word picture. Okay, turn around. So, she's the first letter of the the Hebrew letter that is going to define congregate. It's her head, but specifically it's the back of her head. Okay? I'm going to be a door. An open door. And this is exactly what it is, and that's a staff. So the Hebrew word picture is back of the head, door, staff. And we read it backwards, of course. So here's what it looks like. You have, you can sit down, Tori, thank you. So you have Tori's back of her head. You have the doorway, which means, behold, it's like standing at the door and going, behold! Welcome to our home. It's an open door. And the staff is considered the same thing in what Moses had in his hand and what Aaron had in his hand, which many believe that Moses' staff was given to Aaron. There's no proof of that, but that was one of the items in the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember. It It was Aaron's staff it was actually alive and it would bloom every year as a stick. So this stick, this staff, symbolized life. So you had behind the head, which means following, through the door, the life of the staff. Now, Aaron, I can't use the the illustration of Moses because there's simply no scripture that gives us this, but there is of Aaron. For some reason, Aaron was used as the picture of redemption when it came to the uh, followers of Moses. It was not Moses. It's probably because Aaron blew it. 
and he encouraged the people to build the golden cow. Remember that whole thing? Well, the stick, the, the budding stick, is symbolic in the Hebrew. Not symbolic. It's actually a word picture in Hebrew that life comes from death. When we look at this very simple Latin word, which came originally from the Hebrew, we have the open door person is the pastor, the elder. Whether there's seven of them in this little body, one of them, it's the elder. It's it's Aaron. The staff was the staff that God gave Moses, the visionary, the original visionary. This wasn't Moses. This staff was the symbol of the power of God. Then there's Aaron. Then there's the people. So it's the people following Aaron, and Aaron is following the stick. All the miracles that we hear about that Moses performed with this stick was not performed through Moses. There was no indwelling power in the people in the Old Testament. It was in the stick. And that's why that stick laid in the Ark of the Covenant. Had nothing to do with Moses. At the time, Moses was the doorway. God gave him a staff. God poured his power into the staff. Remember what happened when the the magicians put their sticks on the floor and they turned into snakes and Moses took his staff and he laid it down there and it turned into a snake and it consumed, ate the other two snakes and then he picked the snake back up and it turned back into the staff. That was the symbol of power consumes power. This power consumes all power. That's congregation. That is the people following a leader. The leader follows the power of God. So last week when we talked about my favorite passage for counseling and preaching, which is the whole idea, it's not by my words, Paul was saying, but by the power of the Spirit of God within me. The stick actually comes inside of us. The power of God, the staff, New Testament-wise, comes inside the believer. So now you have the people following the leader who is following the power of God within them. But Old Testament-wise, it was three separate pictures. The other thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was the tablets. They too were written by the finger of God. And they were also in pictorial Hebrew. So, you have staff, you have law, and you have people, which is Torah. There is one other symbol in it that is actually mind-bending, and it's the cross. People following the cross and the law being fulfilled through the cross. But we'll get into that in a later message. But but the, the key thing to keep in mind here is that before we can even talk about dedication and service, we have to look at what really is a congregation. 
Today, people want to follow their own thoughts, their own doctrinal beliefs, their own whatever it is, instead of following through the open door the power of God wherever it directs. How did the Israelites know when to move? Right. So the fire was by night and the cloud by day. When they were backed up against the Red Sea, what was between them and Pharaoh's soldiers? Interesting as it is, it was both. A pillar of fire and a cloud of witness. So, to put between the enemy and the the children of God was this pillar of fire, which fire means in the Hebrew, all-consuming. And it was an act of protection, plus it made the Israelites feel cornered because the Red Sea's behind them. There's no place to go. There's no place to hide. They are doomed. And God said to Moses, He said, Don't you touch that water. No part of his flesh could touch the water. For if his flesh touched the water, your people shall surely die. He had to take the stick and touch the water and the water supernaturally parted. There was to be no association of man's flesh being mixed with God's power. God clearly used symbols, pictures, to help people understand to separate themselves, separate themselves from the power of God. Now as a New Testament believer, we still have to separate our flesh from the Spirit of God who heals someone through you. Now, I want to show you something. There's another word we're going to get into this down the road, but I want to give you a snapshot of this. It's powerful. Because God reminded me of this as I was praying for our sick people. And that is healing, the word healing, one of the primary definitions of healing is applied ointment. That's kind of a duh, isn't it? But if you break ointment down, oil down, you find some extremely fascinating things in the Hebrew. But healing is this. The people are facing the leader. They are coming to Aaron, or Moses, or Paul, or Peter, or any elder. They're coming to that leader, and so now they are facing the leader, the doorway, and the leader's got the staff in his hand, and the, and the person is saying, I am sick, please, please help me. I mean, Jesus' stories are filled with it. From people crawling to grab a piece of his garment 
to a centurion who understood authority, went to the, to the doorway who had the stick and said, all you have to do is take your stick and touch and my son will be healed. And Jesus said, well, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. Your son's healed. Because he understood you bring the sick to the elder, the elder takes the stick and uses the stick to heal the person. So the mandate of when you're sick, come to an elder. When you need demonic deliverance, come to an elder. Is very specific to God. But what happens is these people turn their backs, which is how the Hebrew word rebellion is formed, detachment from a mother's belly. Bellion is detaching from the belly. It's cutting away from the authority. It's turning your back and say, I will pray my own healing prayer. I'm not going to an elder. Sometimes God uses one's own individual prayers to heal yourself or your children because there's no elder around. But if there's an elder around, God will not bypass the elder to get to the, the person who needs the healing. He will want that wife, that male, that whoever to go to an elder and say, you need to come lay hands on my son. That centurion knew exactly how it was done. Which means he had a hundred chiefs underneath him. He understood the power of authority, of being a doorway to the power. Jesus was nothing aside from this power. Do you understand that? He was the Son of God, but without him having the trinity of his identity, he was nothing. He would be nothing. But he was something because he was in touch with all three aspects of the trinity. Spirit, which is power, it's the stick, his body, and God the Father. You couldn't separate the three of his parts. So now, when we look at dedication of service, we now are able to look at the importance of can I be dedicated by fleshly attitudes or can I be dedicated by righteous motivation? Now let's take a look at that. Now, there is a thing that God has about four generations. There is also a thing that God has about um, consequences of sin. Moses knew that and, and after they got caught worshipping a cow, a man-made cow, God knew that, I mean Moses knew that God was going to come and deliver consequences. He was quite familiar with God's stories through him. So he pleaded with God not to deal harshly with this generation. So in that appeal, God says, By no means will I clear the guilty visiting upon the third and fourth generations. But he did grant Moses a measurement of faith. He didn't wipe them all out which he had planned from the beginning. 
But the thing we got to look at is why does God oftentimes talk about these four generations? So, you have a patriarch. That is the oldest guy in the family. You have heads of home. And typically, and within a full lifespan, you have his heads of home. And then you have these great grandbabies. So it was not uncommon back then in particular to have four generations breathing inside of a household at one time. So if the head of home thought he could supersede the patriarch, whether he lived in the same house or not, he was to be taken to the gates where the elders congregate and be stoned to death. Because no one insults a patriarch. That wasn't because the patriarchs were all, you know, the people in the world. It was because this is the system that God's got set up. And if you damage the system, you're damaging the flow of the power of the staff. So we have a lot of dead people today. Exactly. We do have a lot of dead people. We had a discussion last night about the how in the world do we get the church back on target in regard to these simple dynamic teachings and to be perfectly blunt with you, I'm not sure they'll ever come back. I really don't. We are so far gone in our minds, we wrap our vain philosophies around independent thinking that I don't think this is ever coming back. There will be families and small churches, maybe even some large churches, that have it. But you look at a Vody Bauckham, for example, he's one of my modern favorites. He, he's only got 40 families in his church. He's one of the most famous speakers in the world. His church is not popular because he believes in the patriarch standing in front or behind following the stick. And then his son. And then his grandson. And then his great-grandson. His church teaches that. It's not a popular concept. So, it is probably never going to return to the church as a whole. Because of that, people are not going to get the fullness of the power of God inside their churches, inside their communities, inside their families. They won't. People assume today that God will bypass a patriarch and go to a head of home because a head of home is smarter, more educated, more advanced, more tuned into society or whatever it is you want to give to them that God will somehow step around that patriarch because he's a little slow on the uptake and go after that aggressive son who is out to take on the world for Jesus. He won't do it. Now I want to give you a word picture in Greek. Do you realize that Jesus could not even step out to begin preaching until Joseph died? The reason why there's all these scriptures about him caring for his mother as the eldest son, he became the patriarch. 
So he had to manage the responsibility of this preaching ministry and his mama. But he couldn't even begin to preach. He couldn't go get baptized and come out of the water and tell his, his daddy on earth died. Because God said there shall be no man serving two masters, particularly his own son. God will not bypass the patriarch. How often do you hear about Joseph and how dynamic of a you know, teacher he was and nothing. The guy probably was just a hard working carpenter till the day he died. And he has the son of God picking up nails off the floor and, you know, helping him. The son of God has to serve this patriarch who's just a carpenter. The reason why we know it to be true is because of Hebrew law and the evidence of manner consistent with the Hebrew law is Joseph became the I mean uh, Jesus became the authoritative figure over Mary. So that's why he waited so long. Yes. There's nothing magical about 30 years of age unless there is something for God because God obviously had a perfect timing to take Joseph. So that's God's business. That's not mine. I can play with the numbers and have all kinds of fun with it and I've tried to do it. But the fact is, the simplicity of Hebrew manner is the patriarch must die before the full inheritance is passed over to the son to become the patriarch. Jesus could not act as a patriarch on the earth until he was one. And that is why we have so many cultures in the world today, and it's not stopping. There's a brand new culture that was formed uh, four months after this present president became president, and they merged Christianity and the Muslim, and they formed a new culture, which is born-again Christians and Muslims. So it's a brand new culture. We have thousands of cultures. Chrislam. So we have thousands of cultures and it's because someone believes that and they go, well, you know, we need to modern things up a little bit. That's the definition of the emergent church. We need to rewrite Christianity is the exact quote. Modernize it. Bring it up to date. What we're going to find when we die is that God is Hebrew and His language never changed. And those who desire to learn the pictorial ways of God communicating are going to stay in tune, in grip, have the grip on the power of God in their lives because They want God to communicate to them through pictures. You are exactly where we're going. So now you have this this ungodly patriarch, boss. That is more the question that's asked today is what do how do I how do I, you know, 
serve this boss who's ungodly and blah, blah, blah. Forget the daddies and fathers. I'm, I'm sorry, but they're gone. People don't even think like that anymore. Most children view their fathers as idiots and toss them to the wind. They do. Bosses are a new story. How do I serve a boss that is, you know, ungodly and unreasonable and whatever? Now we have the true vision of service. How can I lead my boss to Christ through me? And Jesus does say, through your acts of service. Lay your life down for him. Show him that he is the most important person in your life in that arena. And that's how it's done. So now let's take a look at that. The multi-generational mission model, which is what our little fellowship will cling to, starts out with the most basic of the basic, and that is marriage itself. So, serving one another in a marriage environment. Secondly, you serve your family. Well, in this marriage dynamic, the wife has to learn how to master what we were just talking about, and the husband has to learn how to serve the way Jesus Christ is talking about. If someone wants to use the terminology of singleness, that's why in our Confession of Faith, we wrote a specific paragraph about singleness saying we do not believe singleness exists. Because marriage is Jesus Christ. So if a single person is in waiting for a human marriage, that is just an additive. That's like putting on your shoes. The real marriage for the single person is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So it always starts with marriage. Learning how to serve Jesus Christ in my wife or a single person learning how to serve Jesus Christ in my personal walk. Then it goes to family. Usually within the family you find your patriarch. So some people say, well, what if there's no males left in our family lineage and... You know, it's all women left and blah, blah, blah. What, what, what are we going to do? So the first question I ask is, is there any grandsons? Well, yeah, but they're like seven and eight years of age. So say you're the oldest male child. You've gone on to be with the Lord and, and there's no other male to be found. And you're the only, and you're only 10, 11 years of age. It is your responsibility as a matriarch to make sure he is groomed to become a patriarch on his given day, which would be 13 years of age. That's when these young men became kings over nations after their bar mitzvah. They may have wiser men, elders guiding them and directing them, feeding them how to handle their families, 
But a patriarch can be as young as 13 years of age to this day. But if there's no grandsons and it's all women, those gals, the oldest matriarch, needs to make sure they are under the headship of the church. So those elders can manage them as a patriarch would manage their home. Then we go to the community. And then we serve the community. Finding some way, which is why we put together the Box of the Month Club, is to find a way to serve the lowly, whether they're rich or poor, you can be lowly. Serve the community. So from the community, we go to the state. Serve the state. From the state, you go to the nation. From the nation, you go to the world. What the church did back in the 20s is they moved their money from here into world missions because there were some popular preachers that were teaching, go ye into the world and preach the gospel and this is your great commission. We literally put our family in debt to do it. Our community has been in debt. Our state is in debt. There's two, two states in the United States that have gone bankrupt. And the nation is in debt. We can preach a sermon just on that one. And the world is in debt. So they're begging for a world leader to come and put all this in order. You want to hear something a little bit bizarre? Is the Antichrist is going to agree with everything I just taught you. And he's going to put the world in this order. It's in the book of Revelation. He's extremely organized. He's going to have territories. He's going to have seven primary kings and ten kings of this. And, you know, the Bible is very clear on how he's going to organize this. Because he knows this works. We have to go back to the foundation and say, we need to invest our time, effort, and money here. Get this in order. Then here. Then here. Then here. And, and basically what we're doing is getting every one of these out of debt to be debt free in all these arenas. When these are in order, you can take your money, your, your time and effort, and you can invest it in a ministry out there in the nation somewhere or in the world. Or you can have an investment in each one of these all at the same time. Which is what I'm suggesting Heartland does when we get to that point. Whether it's $5 or $500 to each one of these arenas. We need to pick a mission in each one of these so we're, we're helping a, a marriage inside our little fellowship who doesn't even have enough money to go down and you know purchase some food, whatever. And then the community. And then, and then, and then, and then. We need to demonstrate this model like Jesus did. And Jesus was not even freed to step out to start his ministry into the community until the family stuff was exactly where God wanted it. So, rejoicing in hope Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, 
So what we got to do is break this down. So hope in the Greek means to anticipate. Anticipate is, is very simple. If I heard Jane's footsteps, that is a common sense anticipation that she's coming down the steps. Right? There's a different kind of anticipation, and that's the kind of anticipation that is being spoken of here. Anticipation of the Spirit is I don't hear Jane's footsteps, but I am anticipating that she is going to come down the stairs. I want her to come down the stairs. That is an anticipation that is not validated by any human circumstances. That moves into hope and faith. There are people that have hope, anticipation, because they thought they heard footprints. Dead people that go to hell every day have that. That does not activate faith and true dedication. Hebrew is what comes after the nail. Now, interesting as that is, since Jesus didn't die on the cross yet. You're going to learn probably a year from now that out of all of the teachings that we go through on Hebrew word pictures, you're going to see that the actual gospel of Jesus Christ is in the Hebrew. This is one of the words. True hope is what comes after Jesus Christ died on the cross. But, the theologians connected to this pictorial word, when you read their comments, they would say, there's hope that comes to the person after their thief, who stole from their home, is crucified. So they have peace. They don't have to worry about him anymore. I would rather look at it in the terms of a prophetic statement of the cross of Jesus Christ. Persevering is to stay under with an attitude of serving. Persevering is not always being excited about serving this leader that's not so fun to serve. But you know what? While you're under this leader that you're serving, it can be done with an attitude of Christ living within you. Christ serving him through you. That's true persevering. It's not always pleasant. Tribulation is just simply being afflicted. And that can cover a lot of things. Devoted means loyalty to a patriarch. Patriarch, I'm not going to get into it right now, but to keep it consistent with our word picture, patriarch is the one with the stick. In Hebrew, it's man with stick or staff. 
The stick has also, staff has also been known to hold up man's weakness, like a cane. The actual Hebrew picture, if you remember, looked like a cane like this, with a handle on it. Because the old person can't hold himself up anymore. So there's power in what holds up the leader. Without this staff, Moses would have been a nothing. Do you remember in, in the battles when Moses, Moses held the, the stick up? You know, they were winning, but when he was getting tired, they would lose. So Joshua and Caleb would have to come along and hold the stick up. That's what it means. So devoted is, they were devoted to Moses. But they knew Moses was without power, without that stick being held up in the sky. Devoted. So if I was the enemy, God forbid, I would work at people not being devoted to their patriarch. So there's no power. No power of healing people in your home. There's always division. There's, there's no power. The elders aren't praying over the sick anymore. There's no power. The elders aren't doing demonic deliverance. There's no power. Everyone's doing it themselves because they have bought into the extremes of Christianity. Many people say, don't I have the power to pray against blah, blah, blah? Yes, you do. But look around and see if there is a patriarch that can pray that for you and then with you and then watch what God does. No, I don't, I don't need to do that. God will always use an existing mind and prayer of a believer when there's no leaders to be found. So it's not a complicated thing to understand. We've made it extremely complicated. So, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. So, breaking this down, contributing means from the Greek, share with others. So, it'd be one thing if we would just stop there, but we can't. It is distributing the needs. So, if I'm listening and... Mary has a need, and I'll say, Jess, could you go uh, help her with that this week, and blah, blah, blah. It is really reaching out to the saints. It is taking whatever resources Jess has and spreading them over so that uh, Mary's needs are taken care of accordingly. So those needs become requirements of the occasion or the event. So it's my responsibility to see what the needs are in the event. Then as I'm watching for the needs in the event, I need to watch for the strengths in the group to help meet the needs of that occasion. That's how you saw Jesus functioning. If they ran out of wine, who did they run to? They didn't run to the head of the house. They ran to the patriarch, which was Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus, we're out of wine. Well, you would think you'd go to the head of that house where the wedding was and say, Sir, you're, you're out, of, out of wine. They went to the patriarch and said, Jesus, we're out of wine. These are mannerisms that are forgotten. 
When there is a patriarch in the room, they need to be honored because God will use that patriarch if groomed to do so. God will allow a group or a family to lay dormant for years before he will bypass the patriarch. So when people come and say, I've been praying for my dad for years, I've been praying. And then I watch the unbelievable control games going on in that family and the patriarchs being left to be a zilcho, numble, nobody. But yet the faithful prayers of the wife and the children and the, you know, the community and whatever. And I'm looking at this patriarch going, well, he couldn't talk if he had a chance. God will just leave destruction active in that family. Because they are ignoring the obvious. The patriarch is not being honored and lifted up. The staff holds him up. God put a staff under his hand. And the Caleb and the Joshua are symbolic of the children. They're to be holding his staff up so not all the burdens on this old Moses. How old was Moses? He's an old man by this time. So the kids were holding up the staff because of the honor to the patriarch. They knew that Moses was nothing special. The stick was. And that stick ended up in the Ark of the Covenant. It's huge. Saints are purified or vessels that are made whole. It's exactly what was asked, not asked. That's what the women were putting Peter in that position and Second Peter that he was addressing, First Peter chapter 2, and then he said to them that servants, be submissive to your masters, caretakers. One of the word for masters is patriarch. With all due respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable and harsh in their dealings. For this finds favor in the eyes of God when a man or woman suffers unjustly for doing what is right. But if you do what is wrong and suffer for it, there is no value to God. Zilch. So a lot of people feel lonely and left out because there is no value in their suffering. There's no value. Because they're not doing it according to this plan that God laid out. So God just allowed loneliness to creep into a soul until they rot. It's around us every day. Someone who I encourage to come here this morning is just desperately lonely in this community. And I'll bet you a dime to a dollar she couldn't face not being lonely. You understand that? She's been lonely so long she cannot handle the thought of not being lonely. Loneliness can become intimate. You don't want to be around people. Four, practicing, which is ensuing something as a profession. Profess comes from the same word, confess, confessional, confession. It is a proclamation. So when you profess something, you are saying, this is what I do. 
believe, walk. So a profession is something you do all the time. So they say, well, I'm a professional counselor. Well, you're saying that's what I do all the time. Five, this is a very interesting word, hospitality. It's the practice of healing. Which is where we get our word hospital. Hospital is where you take people to rest. You have this team providing for their needs so they have time to heal. So sometimes they feed you. Sometimes they clothe you. Sometimes they put blankets over you. But it's so you can kick back and go, ah, that's the body of Christ. Someone's sick. You bring an elder to them. Put a blanket over them. Blanket of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so you put the blanket over them. They're like, ah. It causes them to rest so that they can heal. God does the healing. But it is our responsibility to provide a hospital. An environment so that they can heal. Bless those who uh, persecute you and bless and do not curse. So we look over here, bless from the Greek, it is to speak well of. That sounds great. Hebrew is the son of tenderness. So if I say to my grandson, bless you, I'm saying I'm being moved because I'm seeing my grandson tender. So what I'm really saying as a father or patriarch is that my tenderness I give unto you. So God took his tenderness and he gave it to Jesus Christ and it's called a blessing. So in reality, when you look at the Hebrew of blessing, it is, it is something that a, a patriarch literally passes over in an inheritance and gives to his son. So for Isaac to give his blessing and those boys fighting over it was a huge deal because it was the father saying all of my tenderness which means favor and with favor you get what you want. So he's saying all of my tenderness I give to you. That's what God did to Jesus. You have my favor. You have my tenderness. Whatever you ask, you can have, Jesus. And that's why in James it says, for we have not because we ask not. Well, it kind of makes it sound like God set us up to spoil us. Well, he did. But see, you never ask something that the patriarch doesn't want in his home. So Jesus would never do anything that, that God didn't want in the house of God. Persecute is to be chased. Simple as that is. To be chased. Cursed is doomed from the Greek. Hebrew, it is the rod to the back of the head. To declare one as having no value. So, here's the rod. Thy staff, it comfort me. So a shepherd would have a staff in one hand and a rod in the other hand. And the staff was used for heavier duty jobs. 
oftentimes used to move the sheep. Sometimes for more serious type of things. The rod was for spanking. Bopping them on the back of the head. To get their attention. And that's what's being spoken of here. Is that to curse someone... It's first to bop them on the back of the head and then to say, you have no value. To the slaughterhouse you go. You're going to be a lamb on a plate. To be cursed is a horrid thing. For Noah to curse Ham, which as you read in the scriptures, God supported it. But it did not say, Noah, you need to curse Ham. No, Noah woke up and, and heard from the other two brothers what the one brother did is you never, ever disrobe a patriarch. You never, ever disrobe a patriarch. Not psychologically, not spiritually, not physically. And because Ham did that, he exposed his patriarch, he was cursed. And every blood seed that came from Ham from that day forward fell under this. That is the Muslim people to this day. Proven historically, proven genetically. So, it's a serious, serious thing. Was Noah perfect as a patriarch? Are you kidding? He was recovering from being drunk. Because the verse before it says, for the stress of the flood affected Noah and he became drunk with wine. He passes out and was naked. And Ham comes in and disrobes him. Sees him naked. He gets cursed. He said, oh, come on, it wasn't that big of a deal. Really? How come the other two brothers walked back themselves in with a blanket and covered the patriarch and walked back out of the tent. Tenderness. Those two had the tenderness of the patriarch. Their eyes is what uncovers. It's called lust. Lust disrobes in the mind. And that was clearly communicated through the story of Ham. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice is to repeat joy of gladness for all things. It's a repeating. It's not a one-time thing. I'm joyful today. No, you're not. You're experiencing happiness today. To be a person of rejoicing, it is a consistent attitude of rejoining joy Day after day after day after day. Whoops, I have a bad day. Boom, back up, rejoicing again. That's rejoicing. Simple joy can be embraced by any human. Rejoicing, it usually takes the life of Christ in you to live that kind of a lifestyle. Rejoice in all things. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. So number two, weeping is to wail aloud. Hebrew is blood of the eye. So why would that be? Blood of the eye? 
It's what we call bloodshot eyes. I've been crying so much, my eyes are blood. When Jesus wept, he wept what? I mean sweat, he sweat what? Blood is identity. His sorrow and his weeping was so intense, it went, well, some believe he didn't even have any sweat left in him and it, and it started going from sweat to blood. Whatever the science was behind it, it's up to God. The story is of identity. He was weeping with those who were weeping sorrow. He was embracing the pain of the world. And that is what we're required to do in this whole fellowship. So, one mind be of the same mind toward one another. Do not have a haughty mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. So, same is to reflect an image or a mirror. Hebrew is pretty much the same thing, and that is what comes from looking in water. The mind is what is what produces thought, of course. Three, haughty. Greek, it's higher than human. So if you think you're better than the average human, you are haughty. Hebrew is deed of the mountain, which truly translates out as you're acting like the guy up there in that cloud. I am the I am. That's haughty. No, you're not like the guy up on the mountain. Because the guy up on the mountain is not a guy. He's God. Higher than humans. But if you want to act higher than human, you'll be haughty, but you won't be like God. Number four, to associate means to be carried away. So if you associate with so-called believers who blah, 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 you're being carried away by their beliefs being carried away by their ideas. Lowly, humiliated. Humiliated actually means less than human. The word human is in the word, even in the Latin. It means taking pieces from a human. That's where we get torture. The word torture is taking pieces from a human. So humiliated is taking pieces from that human, which makes them less than human, which is where we get Lowly. They're usually handicapped people. They're not whole. They're not complete people. They're embarrassing. They're whatever. They're lowly. Humiliated. Downcast. Low degree. Wise is of, of one's own mind. If we have the mind of Christ, we have the wisdom of Christ. If we have the mind of man, we have the wisdom of man. That's where that comes from. And finally, estimation results in self-skills. Here's our conclusion. We are called by God through the mind of Christ within each believer to be of the same judgments, sentiments, doctrines, practices, ordinances, manners, and of the same form of discipline, love, and being in the same accord and affection toward other bridal members. That's a lot of sameness. Do you know how this screams in the face of modern Christian believers to say that we all have to be of the same judgments, sentiments, doctrines and practices and mannerisms? 
You see, they knew who Christians were back then because they observed their mannerisms. They observed their judgments and their sentiments of each other. They knew other Christians in other towns because they watched for the sameness in all the believers. There wasn't trying to figure out, are you, are you the born again type? Are you the, just the Christ follower type? Or are you more agnostic and, but you're merging? With, they, didn't have, they didn't have to do that. The reason why we can be assured to be 100% alike in these primary areas is because of the mind of Christ. And if you're born again, you have the mind of Christ in you. Why would he be a schizophrenic, multi-personality person in the body of Christ? He wouldn't. He would have the same sentiments. He would have the same judgments, the same doctrines, the same, the same, the same, the same. So when people say to me, oh, your doctrines are different than ours, but I had some guy come into my office this week, a leader in the community, and this is what he said to me. He says, you're of different doctrines and you know, you function different than us, but, you know, we can mutually agree on this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I said, no, that's not true. We all need to be of the same doctrines. And he caught it. He is a wise old man. He caught it before I was able to finish. He said, you know, actually our church has got doctrines that don't agree. I said, that's correct. But I can join Christians all over the world with this and be like-minded. My brothers in Africa know this. I don't care what the Methodist church believes. I care what the Christians in the Methodist church believe. And we were like right on with each other. See, sometimes that's all it takes is just a little bit of clarity. Get it on the right page to get that unity. He calls upon us to think of others higher than we think of ourselves as equally interested in the love of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, blessed with the same spiritual blessings in our husband, who is Jesus Christ, and called in the same hope of the calling. And we should not think of one another as being better off or wiser than another. Doing unto others as you would to the King of Kings, our Savior and Husband, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events, and we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www heartlandfellowships.org